morning, everybody. Good to see you. And I'm glad to be with you today. It's a privilege every week that I get to preach, to be here with you and to be able to share God's word with you. You are a great fellowship. I love you. I appreciate you a lot. It is good to see Sally and Cheek family back with us. We miss Brother Richard, but uh, we love him and we know he's in a better place than we are today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up the second sign of seven in the book of John, second signs or miracles that John recovers. Or recovers. He only he only picked seven miracles, and he picked them, uh, I, I would say, strategically, very carefully, very deliberately, to show us the power of Christ. So we're going to look at this one today, very important. Uh, where we begin with verse 46, John chapter 4, 46 through 54. And then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. And Jesus told him, Unless you people see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my son dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his slaves met him and saying that his boy was alive. He asked him at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour in which Jesus had told him, your son will live. And then he himself believed, along with his whole household. Therefore, this was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak clearly today through this servant. Lord, use this word not to teach and inform, but to show us how much you love us and what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I I think preaching through a book like John, we will cover every imaginable topic. We have in four chapters covered the creation of the world. We've covered the, the eternal nature of Christ. We've talked about the nature of the new birth. We've talked about how powerful God is, that he can turn water to wine, that he can heal a boy, that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. That Christ has defeated death. So we will, in the course of these chapters, cover everything. Today we talk about faith. It's really important that we understand faith. While the resurrection is, as A.J. said, the biggest day of the year for every Christian. And it is. It, it is. There's no doubt about it. The role of faith is vital for a believer. And so often... We don't live by faith, do we? We live by sight. We live by what's in front of us. The book of Hebrews says that it's impossible to please God without faith. You can't, you can't do it. You can't serve God without faith. You can't serve God solely by sight. It's just not possible. And so we have to learn to live by faith. It's not automatic. It's not easy. It's not fun. <laughs> the other night I was, um, we took our grandkids to the park over at Tanglewood. That's pretty close to where we live. And 
uh, our daughter Ava is uh, learning to climb and do all these things. And she was climbing and she had to climb up this little ladder and then step over to another platform. Well, it took a little bit of agility for her, and so she was unsure of it. But as long as I stood behind her and supported, I didn't really put my hands on her. I just was there, and she knew I was there. She would take the step, and then when she would get to that last step, I would say, okay, you can step across because I'm right here, and she would do it. Now, if I backed away, she she wasn't going to do that. She knew And she trusted that I was there. That is precisely the role that God plays in our lives. We have to know and trust with surety and absolute dependability that God's there. And when we do that, we can do great things by faith. Without it, we we can't do a lot by faith. We, We do a lot by sight. Now, faith is contrasted with unbelief. And we see unbelief today. We will see the man shows up in Cana of Galilee where Jesus performed this miracle. And he shows up and he's not a believer. He knew about Jesus. He knew that he did some things and he wanted Jesus to do something for him. But he's not really a believer in who he is. And so how do we get from unbelief to faith that counts, to saving faith? Well, and I know most of you are believers, so this may not apply entirely to you. But I want you to know that some people... Uh, don't believe because they've never heard. They just don't know. The, the disciples were like that. They were, they didn't know about Jesus and Jesus came up to them while they were fishing and said, Hey guys, put your nets down and follow me. And what'd they do? They put their nets down and followed him. I think that's one of the most incredible steps of faith in the whole Bible. They didn't know about Jesus. Jesus hadn't done anything, but they were touched in their heart to follow him. They heard and they went. That's that's a great story. Then we have unbelievers who just don't have enough information about Jesus. There there are people like that. They they just need to know more. The Samaritan woman was a person that needed to know more. She had heard about Jesus apparently, but she when Jesus sat down at the well, she wasn't real impressed. But when Jesus came in there and told her all about her past, she said, this guy, who is he? And she became a believer. She got enough information and she became a believer. There are people like that. They're, they're people that need proof. They need, they need something done in their life. Now, the man, the noble person, Basilikos, that we'll call him today, that's the Greek word for noble person, he, he kind of fits this, this step. He needed more information about God. He knew Jesus. He had heard about him. He just didn't know much about him. He thought he was kind of a miracle worker, a healer, a, a great guy, but he didn't know that he was the savior of the world. So when, Jesus healed his son, then he knew. But listen, church, there is a fourth category that's really tough. And we need to know this as we go out in the world. There's a category of people that heard it all, they saw it all, and they rejected him. And they're out there today. I mean, Jesus encountered people when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It says that he went... And he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he said there were people that believed and there were people then that wanted to kill him. So there are people that regardless of what they know and regardless of what they've seen, what kind of information, they're just not going to believe. We have to know those people, God himself didn't turn them around. And I think, I think for us believers, there's a kind of unbelief 
that we fit into sometimes. There's a category of people that believe in Jesus, but not enough to change their life. Well, I mean, they believe him and trust him. If you ask them, yeah, I'm a believer, but they're not going to change their life because of it. They're just going to live everything the way they did. I, I can tell you, you can be a Christian for a long time. You can be a part of a church. You can do a lot of things unless you're willing to alter your life and do what God calls you. And I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that, that you're, you're not following him. And, and you won't, you won't get the blessing that God gives you when, when you follow him and when you, when you have faith and trust him. So we're going to see this, this, uh, whole, uh, evolution of this man's faith today. Jesus returned to his home region where he lived in Galilee. And it says, I didn't even read these. Uh, if you go up to verses 43, it says that he uh, spent two days. He, uh, he left uh, Samaria. He went to Galilee. He testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And they entered there. And the people welcomed him because they'd seen everything he did in Jerusalem. And so they liked Jesus. They didn't really know who he was, but they liked him. He does a lot of great things. And then he goes to Cana, the same place that he had performed the miracle, turning water to wine. So he was back there. And that's where this story takes place. Um, interesting that this took place away from Jerusalem. That's where all the religious people were. That's where everybody knew about Jesus, supposedly. They, they knew about the Messiah. They studied the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus wasn't doing any miracles in Jerusalem. He was doing them all up above. He went to Samaria where no Jew would go. And, and, and he touched the Samaritan woman. Didn't do any miracles there. But he touched this woman and converted the whole village and spent several days with them. He goes to Canaan and he performs two remarkable miracles. But not in Jerusalem. So the first thing I want you to see... Is that at some point all of us need real faith. We, at some point, you and me, we're going to get to a point in our life that we need real faith. You, you can walk by sight for a long time and you can do pretty good. But you're going to get to a point in your spiritual life or in your, your, your earthly life that you're going to have to have faith to get through it. And if you don't have your faith intact, that event's going to destroy what you believe about Jesus, or it's going to destroy your concept of Christ. But if you are a believer, it's going to grow and draw you closer to him. There's there's a time in your life that you're going to need real faith. This man, a wealthy man, a certain royal official, uh, the word the word uh, basilikos in the in the Greek, it could be a king. It's not likely to be a king or a king-like person, a royal official, a man of very high standing. He was a man had money, he had means, he had everything that money could provide him. He was a person of responsibility. He came, traveled twenty miles from his home. Now I don't know if that sounds a lot like to you on, in your Bible, but if you, if I got here and traveled twenty miles. Uh, that's probably to Forsyth Hospital. So I would get and walk to Forsyth Hospital today. That's a pretty good hike. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty desperate to do that. I'm pretty intent on getting there. There's something 20 miles away that I need. That's what this man did. He came there. The Bible says that he came, uh, to Cana from Capernaum because his son was near his son was ill. And and the Bible goes on in verse 47 to say that he was about to die. Trouble comes to all of us. 
you probably didn't need to come here and say, Jim, I, I didn't need you to tell me that. I got that. Job learned that lesson. He says, uh, I like the way Job writes. He says in, in chapter 5 or 6, he says, distress does not grow out of the soil. Trouble does not sprout from the ground. But mankind is born from trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. As surely as you and I are born, as we come into the world, as, as surely as we get older, some people don't even have to get older before they run into trouble. We're, we're going to have trouble. We're, we're going to have we're going to have trouble that rocks our whole world, that changes everything that we believe. And we pad ourselves, and we we do a lot of things. We build security. If I say to you, uh, you need to build security in your life, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, it means you need to get a good bank account, a good checking account, then you need to have a little savings account, and you need to pay off all your bills, and you need to have a home, and you need to have a a car that's paid for. When we talk about security, we talk about financial security. That's a good thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If you tell your children, you say, well, to have security in the world, you got to have a good education. you got to be financially secure. you got to have an education. you you got to get a good job. Can't sit home and watch TV and play video games all the time. You might do it for a little while, but eventually you're going to have to get in the world and, sorry, you're going to have to do it. Just the way it is. And you guys, I know you all know that because you're very smart young folks. And you, you've learned that lesson. A lot of people haven't quite got there yet, but that's, that's really important. So security is all of those things, but I will tell you, church, Security doesn't buy you real security. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, it doesn't do that. I, money can buy you a king-size bed. It can't buy you sleep. It can buy you a big house. It can't buy you a home. It can buy you a companion, but not a close friend. It can buy you books. I like this. But it can't buy you brains. Right? I have a lot of books. People always say, have you read them all? I said, yeah, I've read most of them. I'm still reading them. Taking some with me this week. Doesn't buy brains. Money can buy a church building, but it can't buy you into heaven. Money can't buy you life and health. Regardless of how much you have or how much you care about somebody, can't buy that for you. I learned that lesson when I was in my 40s. I had a really good life. I had a, what I considered a great life. I'd worked hard, had a good family. Had a good career. Everything was great. One day, one day, we go to the doctor and we find out my wife had breast cancer. One day. I mean, one hour in the doctor's office and your whole world is shattered as you know it. And then I kept saying, well, breast cancer is, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, you know, it's not so bad. People get, and this guy kept going. He said, no, this is a really bad cancer. And he said, I'm not going to lie to you, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is going to be a struggle. And he says, we may not do well with this. So in one day, what do you you go back to your job then? Do you go back and count how much money is in your bank account? Is that that what that means? There's a day that everybody needs real faith. And over over months, God drew me closer, closer to him. It wasn't something that I chose to do wasn't something that I wanted to do. 
So, so this noble man had a similar experience. He, his son was dying. He walked 20 miles to tell Jesus his son was dying. The Bible tells us a very important word. If you look at it, it says that he pleaded with him. He begged. It, it means he pleaded and kept pleading. Now, there's people there, and Jesus always attracted a crowd. So I want you to picture there. Here's a guy of some pride and means, and he comes up to Jesus, and all these people are around him. And he walked up and pleaded with Jesus time and time again. This meant a lot to him. Now, he didn't really know who Jesus was. If you read this carefully... Um, he was more, he's really more concerned with just getting the healing. He didn't care that Jesus was the savior of the world. And if you believed in Christ, that you could have eternal life and you could be born again. He, he wasn't interested in that. He knew Jesus did some miracles, so he wanted him to heal his son. That's what he wanted. He's desperate for a solution. He begged and he keep begging. Church, I want you to know that you can walk by sight as long as you want. One day, you're going to need real faith. I wish that weren't true. One day, you're going to need to depend on faith only God can give you. Because all the things that you have in this world won't matter. You're going to need real faith. Number two. Life-changing. You know, to, to some, faith is just getting what we want. That's really a popular idea today. To some people... Faith is that I ask God for something and he gives it to me. And if he gives it to me, everybody can look and say, well, Jim has real faith because he asked God for something and God gave it to him. And Jesus was really a little on edge about this. And he said that this man is pleading with him. And I mean, I can just put myself in this picture. I'm going around. I'm probably dressed a little different than everybody else. And I seem to be a little bit a little bit higher class than the rest of the people that were in the little community there, the noble man. And, and so I got a little bit of pride, a little bit of concern, and I'm pleading with him already. And Jesus turns around to me, and what does he say? I wish he would say, oh, I'll take care of that, don't worry. No, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That is not what he wanted to hear. That's a pretty stinging indictment, actually. But Jesus is telling him that there is a lot more at stake here than the health of your son. Can you imagine that to a father whose son is dying and Jesus says, there's something bigger here than you're talking about. And all you guys want to see is me to do some miracle like at a circus. You want me to perform for you. And he's capable of that. I I want you to know. A lot of people place a lot of stock in the signs and wonders that God performs. A lot of people. Those signs and wonders are not a guarantee by God. He he has no guarantee to me and you that he's going to grant everything that we wish. Now, he says that if our requests are lined up with his will, that he will grant them A hundred percent of the time. But you know what happens when I start asking God for things. God starts changing what I ask. And so that eventually I'm asking for what God wants. That's not a lot of fun. You know in that illness. And I've told you this before. That I prayed and prayed. And we 
we prayed and, and we asked, our church prayed and we begged, I begged God. Finally, one night, late into this illness, things weren't going well. We just had one bad visit after the other. I was praying about it. As clear as if God had spoken to me. And he says, Jim, you're, she's not going to get healed. But it's going to be okay. Do you know what? I didn't argue. I, and, and you might say, well, boy, what great faith you have. No, I was terrified. But I was as clear as if you spoke to me right here today that God wasn't going to heal her. And so I said, okay, we got to change the whole approach now. And it changed the way I looked at things. You see, the things then I was praying for were the things that God had already told me. That was not the way I wanted that to turn out. But you see, God doesn't do the things that I want him to do. He's he's not a circus performer. A lot of preachers today think God's a circus performer. That they can bring a sick person up and lay hands on him and heal them. And they can demonstrate how powerful God is. They're not really demonstrating the power of God. They're trying to demonstrate the power and the faith of all these people. The the preacher, the person involved. And then they'll even say the thing. This is what really makes me mad. Is that this particular person wasn't healed because they didn't have enough faith. And I will tell you that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane with all the faith in the world. And he pled With his father to take the cup. And God didn't take the cup. And sent him to the cross. So God doesn't always answer it the way we want it. But that's what we want. We want prayers answered our way. But I will tell you that a relationship with God is a lot more than that. It's grounded on faith. It's grounded on love. It's it's grounded on, on God's will and purpose. Which is often Different than us. You remember Isaiah said that God's ways aren't our ways. I I can only see healing when someone that I love is sick. And God may see a different plan. Because he sees it from a different perspective. <laughs> if, if you sit with God long enough. If, if, you, if you get into his word with him. If, if you get on your knees and your tears and God's word. He'll show you his will and his purpose in the course of that. And he'll even adjust it to where you might even get used to it. But God's ways aren't our ways. I want to tell you most of all, church, that you don't have to wait on promise, on, on, on miracles or signs or things that God does to prove his power in our life. Or to prove his promises. I hear the faith healers often will say, this is a promise of God. Well, I will tell you that God saves us from our sins is a promise from God. That we have eternal life is a promise from God. That we have, that, that, that Christ defeated death, that's a promise from God. That God, because of our simple, erring faith, declares us righteous before God. That's a promise from God. And those are the promises we need to hang on to. But God doesn't always heal the people we want him to. So, faith is not just getting what we want from God. Number three, life-changing faith is trusting the word of God. It's trusting him. Now, in verse 49, the, the official heard this. Now, I would, I would have had my feelings hurt a little bit, and I might have backed off. But this guy did not back off. Verse 49, he came right back and he said, Sir, the official said to him, um, 
come down before my boy dies. Let's, he just, he gets it pretty personal now. You gotta do something, my boy's gonna die. See, his idea of Jesus was that Jesus had to go to where his son was. You know, this is contrasted with the Roman centurion who came to Jesus in Matthew. And the Roman centurion came to Jesus and he said, basically, I, I know you're a busy guy. I know who you are. And you don't have to do anything if you'll just heal my servant right here. I know you can do that. I know you have that ability. And Jesus turned to him and to this Roman soldier that the Jews probably detested and hated. And he said, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And he said, your servant's been healed. See, he understood that. He knew who Jesus was. He, he got that. But this, this fella, he's not quite there yet. And so he's pleading with Jesus and begging him and urging him to go on. You know, we often think Jesus can only do it our way. He, he can only do it our way. The, the ladies at the tomb of Lazarus last week, uh, Lord, you gotta hurry because our son is die, our brother is dying. And then when he gets there late, they said, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. I mean, they knew Jesus kind of who he was, but they said, if you had to be here, it's too late now. And then when Jesus goes right to the tomb, to the door, he says, roll the stone away. And they were like, oh wait, don't, don't do that. He's, he's, he's really decaying. You see, they think like I think sometimes that, that if I ask for a prayer, it's got to be my way. But, but let me tell you, God is powerful beyond imagination. He can do it. He can do anything. He healed. He, he, he brought Lazarus out of the grave. He'd been dead four days. He walked out of the grave. The biggest problem was getting the grave clothes off of him. He, he just wiped death away. That's how he works. And that's what he did here. He says to the man, he says in verse 51, in verse 50, go, Jesus told him, your son will live. And then the man believed, listen to this, the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. I I want you to know there's a transformation that's happened right here. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd been pleading for my son to be healed and the man's right here to be healed and he says, go, your son's been healed. And the man immediately he left and walked 20 miles back home. He didn't ask any questions. How'd you do it? Is it really true? How do I know that? Uh, if it didn't happen, can I call you again? Where are you going to be in a couple of days? I mean, there wasn't any of that. Could you write this down on a piece of paper for me? I mean, I would want some kind of proof. Would you just send me an email and confirm with me that you've done that? I need something. But this man, he left and walked back home 20 miles. That's faith. That's, that's real faith. That's, that's life changing faith right there. He, he altered his life. He went from begging to going home. He's resting in God's word. He took God's word. He said, okay, that's good enough for me. I believe that man. He's going to do it. I'm going to do exactly what he says. That's exactly the lesson you and I have. Sometimes we have to do just what God says. We have to get into his word. We have to obey. When it says, don't worry, you know, I always say that I'll, I'll talk to people or we'll be having a conversation and, and, and I'll, they'll say, well, you know, I know the Bible says don't worry, but I just can't not do it. <laughs> Well, maybe we need to take God's promise at his word. Not worry. Maybe we just need to believe it. When when we stand at a grave of our loved one. And our hearts are filled with grief and tears. 
and we read the words that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life, and he who believes in me will not die but will live. That's a promise from God. And in the midst of our grief and tears, we can have a promise from God. That's, that's when it's ta- we can walk out of there and say we have hope in our heart because of what he did. That's a life-changing hope. It's very, very important to do that. You know, I want to I tell you about this thing in faith. faith. Faith is, this is hard business. It's hard business. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says. They don't have time. Great chapter. We just need to go through it. About 10 weeks it'd probably take to go through this chapter. But listen to this. Now, faith in, in chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the reality of what's hoped for, the proof of what's not seen. See, faith is not some squishy idea. It's a reality and it's proof. It's it's a powerful thing. Listen, listen to what the New American Standard says. It says, faith is the assurance of things we hope for, the conviction of things we don't see. Faith gives substance to our hopes, makes us certain of realities that we don't see in the New English Bible. Dr. Phillips' translation says, faith means that we can have full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. That's what faith is, church, being certain of something you can't see. He knew that his son had been healed even though he didn't see him. That is real faith right there. The New Living Bible, I like this one. Faith is the confidence assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. Evidence of things we cannot see. That's faith. That's life-changing faith. It, it's, it's, not, it's not some faith built on my ideas. or it, it, it can't be grounded on just what we think or what we wish for. It's got to be grounded on the Word of God. It's got to be grounded. We can't, we can't walk out and say, God has told me something that, that, that He hadn't told anybody else. and It's not written down anywhere, and I've got to go do it. No, no, don't trust that. Go to His Word that's completely reliable and inspired. And when God tells you something, take it to the bank. Believe it. Trust it. It's really important to do that. You know, that's what the people in the Bible did. They they believed the Bible. He names off all these litany of people. Listen to what says. They all died without having received the promises. If they were faith healers, they would they would have all left their faith because faith healers believe that to have good faith, you're going to get all your prayers answered. But all the great heroes of faith in the Bible died and never had the promises God gave them fulfilled to them. They just trusted him. But they saw them from a distance. That's what you got to do. You got to see them from a distance. They greeted them and confessed they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. That's good counsel. Sometimes you got to say, you know, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take it to the bank. I'm going to believe what he said. I don't live here long. I don't really like visiting here all the time. I know I've got a better home, but I'm going to trust what he said. And that's what God calls us to do. That's real faith. That's life-changing faith. Now, I'll tell you, God's not, God's not diminishing miracles in this story. You might say, well, Jim's talking down on miracles. No, no, he performed a miracle here. He made the boy better. And he can do that. He's fully capable that miracles happen today. You could tell me miracles that you've seen in your life or in the lives of people you love. But I just want to tell you that God doesn't always prove his power by doing what we ask him to do. I want you to know that this morning. Real faith is trusting Listen to the last chapter, 1139, last verse of Hebrews 11. All those who were approved through their faith did not receive what God promised since God provided something better for us so that we would not be made, so we, so they would not be made perfect without us. 
just because they didn't get what they wanted. They still trusted God. Lastly, life-changing faith is contagious. This, this man is really pretty neat because he goes home now. He, he realized that his boy is better. The father realized, uh, then he said, uh, in verse 52, while he was going down, in 51, his slaves met him saying, this boy, that his boy was alive. He asked him at what time he got better. Yesterday at 7 in the morning, the fever left him. So he's getting an affirmation of what Jesus told him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour in which Jesus told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. So now, you see, evidence has produced faith in the whole household. They're all believers now. The man probably went down and said, I went and talked to Jesus. He told me this. I came home and he's better. Look at what he did. This is power from Christ. This is the Messiah. This man is the son of God. He is who he says he is. You can trust him and believe him. That's really important. He was a convicted believer, as we would call him. All his household believed. Everybody. It wasn't. Faith by osmosis, but the man had to share his faith. You know, we see that all through the Bible. We see it in Cornelius and the Philippian jailer. We see, we see faith that travels from one person through the whole family. When somebody is sure and convinced and positive, they get it all. So that's really important. Okay. I'm ready to wrap it up. Here's what you gotta do. I want you to know that. When you, when you walk away, I want you to know. How do you get from unbelief to saving faith? And I want you to get out of your mind that the idea that real faith is getting God some, to do something you want him to do. That is not real faith. That is, that is not God's plan for you and me. God's plan is for you to know and to trust his word and to live that word out. That's what you have to do. Here's a couple of ways to look at it. There's two conditions that bring saving faith. The first thing, you got to hear God's word. In, in, uh, in, in Romans 10, uh, verse 7, we, we, see, uh, we see a picture of that. Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. That's, that's where faith comes from. It comes from what you hear about God, what you know about God, what you read about God. You trust and believe in it, even though you don't see it. You trust Him. That's faith. And the second thing, well, you know, in order to do that, that means you got to be in the Word. Paul says in, in Colossians that, that let the, the Word of God dwell richly in you. That's the biggest challenge for every one of us. If the Word of God can dwell richly, I mean, pours over us, it'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we view God. It'll change the way we fake crisis. And I think if we do it now, we do it now, God is preparing us for a crisis. That we can trust him. Now, even if you don't prepare, he'll give you the crisis. You're just going to have to learn on the run. That's not the best way. I'll tell you that. You can learn, but it's not the best way. The second thing is we have to exercise the faith we have. Uh, here's what one theologian wrote. He says the way to increase faith is to exercise our faith. you got to exercise it. The true parent of perfect faith is to experience the blessings that came from the crudest, rudest, narrowest, blindest, feeblest faith. Because once we start trusting God at his promises, God starts blessing us. Now, let me notice this. I want you to see a distinction. 
The faith healer will tell you that if you ask God and you have really good faith, if you ask God, he's going to give you what you want. That's not true. But the Bible teaches us that if you have have strong faith, God will, and you take his word at face value, then God will bless you for that. He'll, he'll give you encouragement. He'll encourage you to go forward, take, go through that door and do something else. He'll, he'll lead you to do other things that you'd never done. That's, that's how you do it. You exercise your faith. Trust him as you can. Don't be afraid. If you don't understand or you have a feeble grasp, trust God is a word. And so we all will have opportunities to grow in difficult circumstances. But here's a way to grow in a perfect time. My prayer for you as a church is that we learn to trust God and what he says. When he says that he loves you and won't desert you, then trust him at that. When he says that he's defeated death, then trust him at that. When he says that he will never, never abandon you. That you'll have trouble in this world, but I've overcome the world. You've got to trust him at that. When he tells us not to worry, just trust him at that. We've got to trust him. And that's, that's what God leads us to do. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us. Lord, just teach us with your spirit. If there's one that doesn't know you, I pray today, Lord, that they can come and, and acknowledge you, confess you. And Lord, for the rest of us, lead us to live by faith. The things that we don't see. The things that we know through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I want us to have a time of invitation. We'll do that this morning. We always do have this beautiful hymn that we love. And uh, this this is Christ. He he is. I just love this hymn. That's saying if you if you have something on your heart this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Christ, you're not a believer, then you can say, Jim, I just want to get to know him and we'll talk you through that. If you need to come to the altar and pray, you want to whatever you have on your heart. Let's stand and sing together. You come as God leads you.